Good morning. Am I early? Am I late? I did last week late. Later. <laughs> this week early. It's a weird day too because it's Good Friday, which is like one of the few days of the year where stuff that's like always open in Australia is shut. So I can't go to Bunnings to do a bunch of the normal sort of work around the housey stuff that I was going to do. Can't uh, can't go to a bunch of different places. So maybe stuck at home, <laughs> stuck at home doing more IoT and doing my garage stuff. And I talk about both of those during the update this week. I have a list somewhere. Uh, but first of all, before I go to the list, sponsor time first. Collide. No surprises there. Collide is sponsor again today after lots and lots and lots of weeks this year and last year as well. Collide ensures only secure devices can access your cloud apps. It's zero trust tailor-made for Okta. Book a demo today. Go to tryhunt.com, click the link. Collide ensures that if it's a if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. Achieving zero trust is on Okta. Works on Mac, Windows, and Linux. So as I said many times before, big thanks to Clyde for uh, helping me to stay at home and play with IoT. <laughs> Again, more of that to be discussed later on. G'day, Wayne. Wayne is there. He is evening. That would be uh, that would be yesterday, which would be probably Europe time evening. Joe is definitely Europe time. UK. G'day, Joe. Uh, boy, today <laughs> I have a list. I have a list. Where did my list start? A lot going on. Now, let me just start with something <laughs> very, very minor. But last week I was talking about Twitter and I had a, a tweet that got an enormous amount of traction. I wonder what that's up to now, actually. That was kind of funny because <laughs> the whole point about the tweet was people were so, some people were so upset about Twitter. Twitter's dead. doesn't work anymore. It's going to die. And five months later, it was still working fine. People were very upset at my observation that it was still working fine. And that uh, that did get rather a lot of traction. I've probably got to go to analytics and then we'll just pop up to the top. Anyway, as if to sort of further <laughs> prove me right about that, uh, I had a, a, a couple of questions I put out, a couple of polls a couple of days ago. And they got a huge amount. I was very, very surprised, actually, at how much engagement they got, which I thought was very interesting. Oh, here we go. So here's this one from the other day. Uh, 2.15 million impressions, the one where I, I said it's been five months, then Zeylon took over and it still works. So uh, thank you for everyone for chiming in on that and sort of <laughs> proving the point. Now, here's the, here's the context, and, and this is good because we've got a range of people from different places. Thomas is there from Griffith in New, Griffith in New South Wales. Um, my beautiful wife, Charlotte, is Norwegian. Uh, I'm Australian. We have both lived in different countries around the world for many years and travelled a lot. We both speak English. Her sometimes better than me, if I'm completely honest. And something that comes up a bit is she'll say something like, actually, I think it's normally me that says it. It's like, um, what are we going to do next Friday? And she'll say something. And I was like, what? How? But, but we're away then. Like how, and, and the, the, the conversation quickly works out that there are different interpretations of what next means. Now, I'm shocked, shocked and appalled, I tell you, at how much engagement there was when I put this out to the Twitters. But there is the school of thought that next means whichever one comes next. 
So today's hard because it's a Friday. Let's call it Monday. So next Monday would be three days from now. And there's a school of thought that next Monday means the one after that, which would be 10 days from now. And uh, we do sometimes, we don't clash. It's just a different interpretation. But I think I'd looked this up before because, you know, screw this. I'm sick of having a misunderstanding here, not knowing what it is. Like, let's go and Google it. And I think in the past that the answer has been quite ambiguous. So I put the polls out. <laughs> I went to, like, the source of all truth and knowledge and put a Twitter poll out. Now, as it turns out, let's get the correct stats here, uh, 78% of people agree with Charlotte. <laughs> not me. And I didn't say who it was. I thought each way either, which was interesting. Because to me, that kind of redefines the English language a bit. But again... It may not be my strong point as an Australian. So I put a subsequent poll out and I said, when you're counting sequentially, what's the next number after five? Now, 84% of you said it was six because it's a baited question, right? Like, what does next mean? Is it the next one in the sequence or is it the next one after the next one in the sequence? There was vigorous debate about this, very, very vigorous debate. I think the best way of substantiating my argument is that if you say what's the next Monday, and you think that it's 10 days from now, but then you say, when does next week start? And you say it's three days from now. Is that not contradictory? Henrik says, next Friday comes after this Friday, but I didn't learn this until I was 20. Well, also, 22% of people disagree with you, Henrik. <laughs> so, so there's that. Now, here's something that makes it even more confusing, and it's a little bit tangential. Uh I remember a vigorous, vigorous discussion with Scott Helm and Charlotte and I in person somewhere, somewhere in the world the last few years where Scott had used the term referring to a time of the day, something to the effect of half three. And Charlotte and I, of course, immediately thought that was 2.30. Scott consequently thought we were nuts. Now, the reason why I thought it was 2.30, first of all, and this is a cultural thing, uh, I think that uh, Thomas would probably agree with me here, but nobody in Australia says half three at any time. Like half three is one and a half, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> half three is not a time of the day. But I spent two years living in the Netherlands, and I know that when someone says half three, they mean half to three, which would be 2.30. That's the same in Norway. England, they say that regularly, and they mean half after three. And it is implied that the half is half of an hour. But here's where I land on with all of these. And this is just so unimportant in the scheme of life because it has nothing. To, well, actually, I will make it have something to do with technology and InfoSec. But here's where we land on unambiguously across everybody is that there are different interpretations of the same words. And using any of those terms should not be allowed. <laughs> We should outlaw this. We should not be doing next Tuesday, half three. We can say Tuesday the 7th or whatever it is. Uh, we can say 2.30 in the afternoon, 14.30 even. Unambiguous terms. Now this, to bring it back <laughs> to technology and this blog, etc. Uh, what did I write? I think I wrote something about uncultured developers. Now... This was mostly about the differences in interpretations, largely between Americans and, well, everyone. <laughs> so let me explain what I mean by that. 
Oh man, this was this was a, this was nearly eleven years ago, September twenty twelve. I still to this day regularly get emails from people, and I'll, oh, let's let's give you an example of this. Someone will say, "Can we meet on four slash nine? I was like, "Well, that's that's a long way out. That's September, but you know, okay, I guess we can." No, 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 we don't mean that. We mean four being the month, and then nine. Be- now, I know you do this in America. I also know it's basically only you, and I think Belize. <laughs> it's a little bit like using Fahrenheit. It's America, Liberia, and a few other countries. I think I've not even heard of. So they're extraordinarily rare practices on the global scale. But within that one market, (laughs) that one very influential market, it is the norm. So anyway, this blog post I wrote was around trying to reassert the cultural differences that are completely back to front with your accepted norm. So this thing about uncultured developers was developers who are uh, very much set with the one culture. So for example, number one point here, not so relevant anymore, Firefox and Chrome command 91% of the market. It's like, well, yes, but unless you're in China, uh, because 93% of people are running Windows 7 or XP, so they're all, uh, and they're using default. They're basically, it's like, well, Windows Explorer is still massive there. Uh, There's a bit here about dates, Oh, this was this was cool. This was uh, the countries that actually do month, day, year. So where was it? Month, day, year, month, day, year. Yeah, United States and Belize, and everyone else has it in either ascending or descending order. The numbers: year, month, day, day, month, year. The comments here. Now, Joe then says ISO date format for the win. Now I remember nearly thirteen years ago. A bunch of people saying this. They're like, <clears throat> use ISO date formats. And part of my argument here was there are times where you use date formats programmatically, ISO date formats for the win or uh, epoch time if you must. And then there are all the other times where you use dates facing humans. Now, if you use dates facing humans, ISO format time is terrible. Uh, if my mum and dad say ISO format time, they have got to spend a lot of time and it's ISO whatever the number is, you know, let's call it 2117 or something like that. If they see an ISO format, then it's like, yeah, YYYY dash MM dash DD. It's just confusing. So <clears throat> there's a really easy answer. You may not know if the four and the seven is the month and the day or the day in the month, but you always know that April or APR is the month. So... Easy fix, easy fix. What else was in here? Uh, your surname is 40 times more likely to be a symbol that looks a little bit like a temple than Jones. <laughs> Maybe because that was just a massively popular name in China. Um, hmm. This dates it. Windows XP still commands 68% of the OS marketplace. Dollars. Other countries have dollars. We have dollars. They're not worth very much, but other countries have dollars. It's different. <clears throat> uh, and a bunch of other stuff. So anyway, the point is, if you say next Friday and you mean the one after next, you're nuts. There we go. <laughs> James says, ISO 8601. All right, cool. Mike's here. G'day, Mike. Thank you for joining. You're probably one of those people that say something weird like half two to mean, I've even got to think about that carefully, 2.30 or 3.30. One thir- oh, God, see? It's confusing. 
James says, totally down for abolishing the ambiguity as long as everyone adopts the British approach. <laughs> yeah. Well, being Australian, you you pretty much forced that on. Well, which came first? But I got the English here. I don't know. I don't even know where my heritage is. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too close to Charlotte's. Uh, next thing. What else I put in here? Garage, ubiquity. So I... Uh, I've got all of my Ubiquiti cams on the screen over here, and I've just noticed our our epoxy guy has turned up. I have been sharing a thread of progress in the garage. So for uh, for people not up to speed with, <laughs> with what's been happening here, earlier this year, without going into a lot of detail, a lot of life got put on hold for a while, for a few years there. And then we sort of compressed everything once it was no longer on hold to do all the things that we wanted to do in life. And part of that was to buy another car, which was since seen as the McLaren. And in order to fit that and the GTR in the garage, we had to rip a bunch of stuff out of the garage. When I say rip a bunch of stuff out, get like clutter, bikes, crap like that. Put it in a dedicated bike shed, make room. And then we kind of got carried away designing it into like a really epically cool looking James Bond Lair-ish kind of garage. And it's it has been a tedious, tedious process as anyone who's ever innovated anything knows. But we are at the very, very final stages of at least being able to get cars in there. So over the course of this week, the garage has been being epoxied. <clears throat> so uh, epoxy is like a resin which gets laid over it. It's got some flakes and some color in it. It's a hard surface that you can use as a garage floor. And it looks really cool. Yeah, you'll see what I mean when it's done. Now, someone actually asked me in the tweet thread. They said, was it expensive? <laughs> um it wasn't meant to be. Now, the, the answer I gave them was, the, the think of it this way. If the epoxy is worth one, the levelling of the floor in preparation to do the epoxy is worth three. We were only told about the one until it came time to book and pay for the three. So, it basically cost four times more than what we thought it would. Uh, and it was also something that was realised at a point in time where there were no more tiles in the garage and you were committed. And we have lamented many, many times how if this was a technology project, we'd have other issues, don't get me wrong, but shit like that just would not happen. It would be very, very, very different. So anywho, uh, they spent days doing the levelling and packing it all up and getting the surface smooth. And then yesterday they laid uh, a bunch of the epoxy and there's a little video on my timeline there of how you actually get the texture on the epoxy. Now, I thought it would all just be mixed into all the goo somehow, but you actually walk around, and as someone said, it looks like feeding chickens. You walk around and you throw these flakes on top of the epoxy. And there's a video there of Charlotte just throwing it out like she's feeding chickens. So where we got to yesterday is all of these flakes got thrown over the, the otherwise fairly black floor, and the flakes give it... Uh, texture and variety and, and lighter greys and things. So we got to there, based on my ubiquity cams now, uh, Epoxy Man is outside about to come in and put a clear resin over everything. And apparently that clear resin only takes a few hours to set. We can walk on it in a few hours and we can put the cars back in there tomorrow Arvo. So I'm very excited about that. Super excited. And it, it is starting to look amazing. What it really needs now, we need the lights fitted. Because uh, when we have the lights in there, you it'll be like... A 
fairly dark room. The cars, one of them being a pretty brilliant yellow, and then the lights just like spotlighting it up. I think it's going to look epic. Uh, Mike says, half two is exactly what we say. Yeah, which is one. <laughs> I know half a two. Uh, Thomas says, no space for the Merc. Go on, no, Merc stays. So the garage becomes the McLaren and the GTR home. So they'll stay in there. Uh, we've then got a carport, which takes two cars. So a, a carport, it has a door which closes in front of it. door looks like shit, by the way. <laughs> this was one of the tweets yesterday. Apparently, I will answer your question, Thomas. Apparently, when you get really big sheets of steel, aluminium, I don't even know, let's call it a metal, and you roll them flat, if they're not rolled perfectly straight, they get a bit pinched on one side, and then when you put them up as great big flat panels, particularly when they're dark and you see all the shadows, it looks like there's all these little pinch lines along. There's a photo here in my timeline. Now, I was curious as to why, number one, they didn't notice that in the factory. Uh, number two, they didn't notice before packaging it all up and sending it out. Number three, they didn't notice when they unwrapped it here. Number four, they didn't notice when they put it on the fucking garage door and then drove away and went, job done, good luck. And we've walked out there and gone. <laughs> so they've got to replace all those. Regardless, there's one of those great big doors on the garage. And so that means the garage seals, secures there without going into detail about my home security posture. Uh, they're great doors. They're so much more secure than the other ones, properly weatherproofed and sealed and everything as well. So Garage does that. The carport is open on the sides. So for argument's sake, if you jumped the fence, you could walk through the carport, but that's then behind another one of these doors, which also seals and secures. So the Mercedes lives there, mostly because it's it's more kind of the everyday car. Like if you've got to take the kids to school, can't take them both in the McLaren. They don't like going in the GTR because it's too tight <laughs> to fit someone in the back of the... Uh, of the car there so that's sort of the everyday in and out it's it's comfortable it's lots of room all the rest of it uh, but you park it to one side and then you can get the other it's, it's fine so no this, that stays it's definitely not going so Merck stays uh, Merck has a very very slow oil leak at the moment as in like one drop of oil a day so and I just see it on the tiles so it's got to be fixed soon so on the garage front, uh, that's going in, which is cool. It also means we can start taking stuff out of our living room and putting it back in the garage, including fridges and stuff. Uh, we go away to New Zealand next week. So I will come to you from, uh, where will I be then? I think I'll be in Rotorua on Friday next week. Either Queenstown or Rotorua, maybe halfway between. I'll figure that out. Come back, and then we get painting and lights and things finished. So I think we're getting very close. And the only major thing that's still outstanding is all the joinery, so the cupboards and there's a bar and all the framing and everything for the server rack. So that's going to be, I think, a later next month thing. But uh, at least the place is livable now. Okay. Where were we? What did I put in the tweet? <laughs> it's definitely some IoT and some ubiquity stuff in here. Let me just start talking about the ubiquity stuff because that sounds like a logical place to go. Uh, last week, I talked about the Ubiquiti Dreamwall. It's still sitting over there in the corner of my office. It is an impressive unit that I still don't know where to put. So I've got to figure out where is this thing actually going to go. They did also send some other care packages. Uh, it, again, material provided for me without cost, without expectation of talking about it, but I, I'll talk about everything anyway. 
Uh, I ran out of ports, so I had a 24 port switch. Uh, one of the one of the newer generation ones with a little AR code on it as well, so you can score a little TFT, which also works with the AR. 24 port switch. I ran out of ports, uh, and it's not that I ran out of the whole 24 ports, but I think it only has like 16 PoE ports. Not only did I run out of the PoE ports, but I drew more watts than what the switch could support. I think it supports like 91 watts, and I was trying to draw more than 91. So I didn't have enough places to plug stuff in and it didn't supply enough juice. So they sent me a 48 port. So I now have a 48 port. Every one of those 48 ports either does PoE, PoE plus or PoE plus plus. Or maybe they're all just PoE plus or PoE plus. Anyway, they're all fine. <laughs> so, so part of my project or part of my work during this week was to take out that 24 port, chuck in the 48 port, uh, the entire rack is sitting in the living room at the moment because it can't go in the garage because it's getting epoxied. The 24 port has gone under the fish tank to replace the 8 port. <laughs> Sounds so bizarre. The 8 port and the 4 port flex that was on the wall that drove the other cameras. And then the 8 port and the 4 port flex have come out of there and then they've gone into the garage to patch things whilst it's getting, you still with me? Whilst it's getting epoxied. So a lot of shuffling of ubiquity bits is the point. One of the things they did send me, which I am very, very excited about, irrationally excited about, is I've had the G4 Pro doorbell for, I want to say about a year now, which has been a great doorbell, but running it on Wi-Fi has not been a great experience. And I, I think it is probably more to do with the fact that the doorbell by, by design sits on the outside of the the house, in this case, the outside of the wall under the little gatehouse area on the other side of concrete. And it just has not had great signal. So even when you go into Unify Protect and you look at the different devices and signal strength, it's often like, you know, eh, signal's okay. We have found many occasions where someone has come and rung the doorbell and you can't have smooth two-way conversation when you're remote because the, the value proposition is you can pick up your phone, you can start chatting to them and you can be like, hey, just leave the package at the door or whatever. So that has not been good. However, the G4 Pro has a USB-C socket at the back of it, and you can get a PoE adapter. So they sent me that this week, and we've now wired all that in. So what it means is that we've now got Ethernet running. When we pulled up all the driveway, we ran conduit, so we could run Ethernet to other places. So we've got Ethernet running like under the driveway, through the garden, into the back of the wall, into a PoE injector, into a USB-C cable, into the G4 Pro. The G4 Pro is now hardwired, so there is no more Wi-Fi dependency on my doorbell. Major first world problem now solved. <laughs> so I haven't actually tested it, though. So I think I need to, like, go out somewhere and then over cellular on my phone, see if we can have a good two-way conversation um, with the doorbell. Quite interested to see how that goes. I had the AI bullet properly mounted. That was my job yesterday. So the AI bullet is the one that can do license plate recognition. That was something I was very keen on after seeing people clearly casing the place, looking for what they could steal. It looked like that. Now, of course, subsequent to that, different crew by the look of it someone did break into our car so we are a little bit security conscious so the ai bullet i think is now set up in a pretty good place and just 3d printing like some housing and stuff like that for it to make it extra neat but um yes so i've now got one two three four five six seven eight different ubiquity cameras um 
with a lot of coverage. Now, we've also had the discussion before that, and this goes back to the culture thing, different places in the world are different. <laughs> there are different views, particularly around things like security and privacy. So <clears throat> when I shared the AI bullet camera and the ability to do license plate recognition, some people got upset. I know, on Twitter. <laughs> and they said, where I live, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot have security cameras because they might see someone. Well, that's kind of the point. <laughs> Our legislation here in Queensland and Australia, and I've linked to this before, but it effectively says they should be pointed at places where people don't have an expectation of privacy and you should be conscious of what it might mean for, say, your neighbours. So if you've got it pointed into your neighbour's backyard, for example, that's not going to be very cool. It's not a clear cut as in you cannot have security cameras or you cannot point them at private. It's very much, I think, common sense, practical guidance. I found it interesting for the folks that were like, you definitely cannot do this, you know, in Germany, for example, I think was one of them. And then I'd sort of say, well, because they're like, you cannot film people without their permission. Do you have Teslas? Yeah. Have they got cameras? Yeah. So, oh, but that's driving. <laughs> I see a lot of stuff out there driving that I think people probably don't want filmed. Uh, but anyway, here we are. So the AI bullets out there, um, one of the things I found with the license plate recognition, in fact, I'll jump into it and see how it's been going. One of the things I found with the license plate recognition before when I was testing it is it wasn't picking up the license plates on our cars. Now, I do tend to keep the license plates a bit private on the two fancier ones, but on the Mercedes, we have the number plate Oslo, O-S-L-O, for obvious reasons, given Charlotte's heritage and our combined history there. Uh, and I end up sending a whole bunch of source footage to Ubiquity going, look, you know, this is this this is what we're seeing. Like, why, why is this not working? Uh, and it was quite funny because it was something to the effect of not having realized or trained the AI for the fact that you can have a number plate that is that short. Now, our other two cars have shorter number plates as well. In fact, there's someone, someone I know in our neighborhood who has a number plate with just the letter M, just M, a little bit James Bond M. Now, that thing must be worth more than just about any car that you could put it on because obviously that's a little bit of scarcity factor going on there. But, uh, you know, that's, um, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Is the AI culturally aware enough to realize that sometimes number plates can be shorter than whatever they were trained on? So I'm just looking through the uh, what's been captured here. Oh, this ubiquity dashboard is great. Oh, that's really cool. Display options. What do I want to see? Thumbnails and then display options. We can filter down the camera somewhere. Detection type, license plate. There we go. Cool. So it's working pretty well. <laughs> I've got it in a better position now. I've got it in a better angle. But it is it is super cool just to be able to like scroll through this dashboard and see all of these vehicles with all of these license plates highlighted there. That's um that's clever AI. Early, early days though. I'm sure it's gonna get better and recognize like <laughs> short license plates as well. Uh Wayne says you're replacing the UDM. Um so Wayne last week uh I showed the UDW, 
the Unified Dream Wall, which is a massive unit. Um, go back and have a look at the video from last week because I kind of unboxed it and went through it. But uh, I, I'm possibly replacing it if I can find a good place to put the Dream Wall that fits in with the environment because it, it is a big unit and it's a big white unit going into a very dark room. Neil says, does it catch plates at night time? Let's have a look. Uh, sometimes. I'm going to go sometimes there. It is not, what day are we today? We're the seventh day. It's not picking up a lot at night time. Now, this I have read before. Other people have had the same experience with, with the, um, with the camera. It seems like at night it has a lot of trouble. I think because the plates by design are so reflective. Now, mind you, tell you what, the, uh, the toll roads and the speed cameras have no trouble working at nighttime. <laughs> so, so I'm sure the technology is out there, even with license plates that are very reflective. Whether they're, whether that's something you can readily build into a consumer-based camera, not situated in the absolute perfect position to uh, monetize drivers, shall we say, is another question. But yeah, it, it does look a bit hit and miss from the stats here at nighttime. Now that said... I wonder how much of this, I'm just picking one example here. When was this? 8.17 last night. Jeez, this guy nearly hit my camera. Oh, no, this, yeah, yeah, so this is the one that did pick up. Um, but there must be lots there that didn't pick up because plenty of cars go through here at night as well. <clears throat> anyway, that'll be something I think they continue working on. So I'm, um, I guess this is one of the nice things about getting gear from from Ubiquity, I give them a lot of feedback too, and I uh, I want them to make the product as good as possible. Brendan, morning, Troy. Happy Friday and Easter. I've got no idea I had the energy to tune in. Yeah, here you are. <laughs> well done. Okay. Uh, the IoT bits. So a few little things going on there. We have, um, we have an awning out the back. So there's an area you sit there. Many of my photos of sunrises and things are taken from there. And the awning has a set of, it's it's louvers, really. It's not one of these awnings that comes out and goes back. That's also something on the project list at the moment. But they're a flat set of louvers. They're, uh, they're a metal louver, uh, and there's sort of two sets of them. And there's a little remote control to open the louvers so the rain and everything and the sunshine can come through, or to close them so that you're protected. And there has been a rain sensor on that for many, many years. Now, if you've not seen a rain sensor before, they are about the simplest device you could ever imagine. It's it's like two sets of flat wires interlinked like this, but not touching, but very close to each other. And if a drop of rain falls in between the two and closes the circuit, then it is raining. Uh, once the circuit is no longer closed, then it has dried up and there is no rain. Now... This was on those louvers and it would automatically open and close them. And for the most part, it did a pretty good job. It's rusted out. It's dead. So I'm going to build a rain sensor. Now you can buy these. Well, I'm going to build an IoT rain sensor. You can buy these sensors. I think I bought like three of them for about $10 or something stupid like that. Bunch of guidance out there about either then tying them into something like an Akira water sensor. So the water sensors just have two pins on the bottom and... If you get water that touches the two pins and closes the circuit, you're good. You can literally just wire those onto the rain sensor. Job done. A bunch of people have also been showing how to take something like one of the uh, reed switches. So little, normally proximity sensor, you've got the sensor and the battery. The battery goes there, closes the circuit. Uh, apparently you can pop the top off those and like literally just wire the rain sensor onto two different points. 
So hopefully we'll now have a rain sensor. Now this is different to the weather station that measures rain because you need a lot more rain to actually tip the cup and measure it than what you do to actually trip one of these little circuits. So that will be going in once the bits arrive, probably when we get back from NZ. Uh, so that'll be good. The rest of it at the moment, because we've had so many things pulled out, there's so many shellies that have been pulled out that need to go back in. There's more shellies that need to go into other places. We've had stuff pulled up from the garden. So a bunch of the um, a bunch of the things like the uh, um, I've got Philips Hue lights out in the garden are not working. I need those working because they're also Zigbee repeaters. And I need the Zigbee repeaters out there because we've got a new letterbox and I've got proximity sensors in those so that we know when there's a, a package that comes or there's a package door or a letter that comes because, because why not? Uh, Neil says, I think the background of number plates reflects UV light. Most toll stations have purple lights at night to help. Okay, it's interesting. Netboot disk. You need a really fast shutter speed to get number plates at night so you don't get IR glare. I did play with this when I first started mucking around with the camera too. I sort of went, okay, well, look, let's let's play with the frame rates. So if we can get faster frame rates, if it helps, let's maybe drop the resolution down, uh, maybe get a bit more light in or something. Uh, I've basically just gone back to default settings, and that seems to be the most all-round reliable for capturing the data. But, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll see over time, I guess. I do think it'll be something that we just tweak on an ongoing basis. Okay, let's move on to the really meaty stuff because this is now very, very much in the data breachy infosec meat of things, uh, and it's fascinating. <laughs> so this is Genesis Market. Now, this is something that I've known of in terms of Operation Cookie Monster, as <laughs> we'll talk about. I've known of for some time but didn't know details of. And the first I knew of it, was the FBI reaching out and saying, look, we are going to have some data from uh, an incident that we'd like to put into Have I Been Pwned. It's lots of passwords, millions, and lots of email addresses, also millions. And we were working towards uh, a date, which was about probably about 36 hours ago at the time of recording, for when this information would be available. And it wasn't until then and until everything went live that I actually knew what it was. But... Yeah, first of all, I think it, any opportunity to, to try and make information from data breaches more discoverable to people impacted is good. Second of all, if the FBI asks for some help, you you, you, you just say yes. <laughs> you just say yes and give me the details. Actually, I'm going to caveat that because I'm sure someone's going to take that soundbite one day and they're going to be like, so when they ask you for personal data on someone without a warrant or due process, no, it's it, it's not that. I've actually never been asked for that, believe it or not. Um and now this is going to become a warrant canary, isn't it? <laughs> so if I stop saying that one day, but no, look, I haven't been asked for that. Usually the requests we get are for things like this. Like, can we actually feed data in there to help people? And I've said many times before that without exception, every single one of my engagements with uh, with law enforcement and governments in the past has been nothing but but positive and constructive, which is what this was. So let's let's sort of scroll back and, and talk about Genesis Market for a moment because it is a really, really interesting service, was an interesting service. Inevitably, others will replace it. That's just how it works. If we think about what is value or valuable, rather, in terms of trading and stolen identity data, uh, obviously things like 
names, addresses, phone numbers, things that could be used for identity theft purposes, for identity verification are useful. The other thing that's obviously really useful is credential pairs. This is why credential stuffing lists are so popular. If you have a list of people's email addresses and passwords, you're going to get into a bunch of their things due to the prevalence of password reuse. Now, this has been a problem since forever, since we began having usernames and passwords. It's been a significant problem, particularly over, I want to call it the last five to 10 years, where we've had a combination of data breaches, which have leaked large numbers of email address and password pairs, and then more services, and then credential stuffing as a service and more exchange of data. And the whole thing has just gotten like worse and worse and worse. So that has been a problem. Now, the, the way we've adapted as an industry, among other controls, is we've done things like multi-factor authentication. Even via SMS, multi-factor authentication is much better than single-factor authentication. Now, while you let that sink in, I'm going to close my windows as I hear the epoxy man starting to run his epoxy drill. Now, when I say epoxy drill, it's like a drill with a great big mixer on the end. He puts it in the bucket and stirs it all up. If, uh, if someone has password reuse and it goes into a credential stuffing list, but then there is two-factor authentication involved and they are just one of millions, possibly billions of people that are being targeted, you move on to the next one, you being the evil server hacker. Move on to the next one. So 2FA has been good. Obviously, we'd rather use soft tokens and we'd rather use hardware tokens even more so than any of the other things. But what happens after you authenticate? Because there is an authentication process. Username, password, yep, check. Okay, token, whatever the second factor is, uh, check. Now you are authenticated. You have cookies almost ubiquitously set as part of the authentication process. HTTP is stateless. It's not like we keep the connection open and so you always know who it is. You open the connection, you make a bunch of requests across the connection, you get some responses, you sit there, you read it, you make another request, how do we persist state, almost entirely with cookies or other more modern constructs of local storage. Now, because we wanted to get really clever about this, we'd also do things like fingerprinting. We being the good guys <laughs> this time. So good guys would do fingerprinting. And fingerprinting could be everything from your browser user agent string through to other observable attributes of the client. Uh, now, when I wrote this blog post up, I, I used amiunique.org, which can show you, for example, how many other people have exactly the same language settings as you? Now, where we're going with this is that if you start to look as a defender at a combination of having the right authentication tokens and cookies, etc., plus the right browser fingerprint, and you tie these together such that if someone, someone manages to snare your cookies, for example, it doesn't match with other fingerprints of the client, then you can kill the session and not allow the person to log in. So this has been the bread and butter of how we've defended against account takeovers. So what Genesis Market did is they went, well, ultimately, there's still HTTP, HTTPS requests that send a bunch of data, including stuff that's fingerprintable and including stuff that's cookies. We will create a service that obtains all of that, and then we'll create a browser extension which can replay all of that. So they would infect individuals with malware, all the usual ways, and the malware would then look at the services that the individual are authenticated to. 
Now, if I go to the blog post, I think the example in one of these images here that I, uh, that I found from one of Catalan Kimpanu's posts about Genesis Market back in 2019, we can see, here's an example here, someone is authenticated to Dropbox, Apple Store, Gumtree, Yahoo, Amazon, Facebook, Google. If you've got malware running in a privileged state on a client that is able to look at what cookies do you have for different services, so then it knows where you're authenticated to, and then it can look at all the different browser attributes which are fingerprintable, and it can take all of those, send them over to C2, store them somewhere. This is what Genesis Market is. This creates the market. So it's not just an individual with personally identifiable data and usernames and passwords, it's the other fingerprint material and the cookie material which is used to then make authenticated requests. So all of this sits inside Genesis Market, then gets sold. In Catalan's post here, he shows how, in this particular one, it showed that this client, so there's a, a desktop here, which is in Great Britain. It is being sold for $41.30. That is down from $59, bargain. So you could go and buy access to the material of this person. This isn't buying access to their machine or botnet time or things like this. This is just literally gaining access to information obtained from their machine sufficient for you as the bad guy to be able to go and take over their account. I think what's most fascinating about this is that this ran for like four years. Now, part of it was running on the clear web, genesis.market, clear web website. If you go to genesis.market now, let's make sure that this is still the case before anything changes, genesis.market, this website has been seized by Operation Cookie Monster. And what I find absolutely fascinating about the splash page is, is obviously a takedown splash page. Operation Cookie Monster website been seized. We've got all of these law enforcement logos here. We've got our own Australian Federal Police down there. Guardia Civil, I assume that's somewhere in Italy. Uh, the German Federal Criminal Police Office there. We've got Europol. Uh, we've got the Dutch Police. We've got all of these. And then have I been pwned.com. To determine if you've been victimized, visit haveibeenpwned.com or the Dutch police of a version as well. And that is fascinating. Who'd have thought that Have I Been Pwned would appear in a good way next to all of those logos? And I, I only say that because, it, again, like Have I Been Pwned only exists because of the extent of illegal activity that happens. And I just, I don't know, I'm almost lost for words on it. The really cool bit, though, is the takedown notice has got this FBI agent sitting in front of a computer, uh, and there's a bunch of screens. On one of the screens, looking back at us, is some classic uh, hacker logo sort of stuff, hacker imagery, hoodie, binary, green, we all know the drill. The FBI agent themselves is wearing a hoodie with the big FBI on the back, and on the desk next to them is a half-eaten cookie reflective of Operation Cookie Monster obviously named Operation Cookie Monster because part of what they were selling on Genesis Market was cookies. Okay, so that was pretty wild. Uh, the position of the FBI in terms of have it been pwned was we've got a bunch of passwords. Can we put the passwords into pwned passwords? That is now done. Millions of passwords are in there and searchable. We've got the email addresses. Can we put them in have it been pwned? Yep, millions of those are in there now, also searchable. It is flagged as sensitive, which means that you cannot search for it from the front page. You need to verify you have control of the email address. And I'm just looking at how many people have done that 
How many new people have done that? I think it's 15,000 or something in the last 10 hours, uh, which is great. And just to try and make it super clear to everyone, I, I put a bit of text on the front page of Have I Been Paying? I went, look, if you're trying to find yourself in Genesis Market, you do need to actually use the notification service and prove that you can tr control the email address. So so that's the uh, the Genesis Market story. And it's... Um, yeah, I, I just find it absolutely fascinating. There's a paper I linked to in here from the University of Eindhoven uh, in the Netherlands, which uh, did some analysis just after Genesis Market opened. Uh, and originally I thought it wasn't analysis on Genesis, but something similar. The author of that paper has since corrected me and went, yeah, it was actually Genesis. So if you want to get some really good sort of you know, academic paper level detail on how this thing works, go and check out the blog post linked to that. All right. Questions. <laughs> um, Netboot disk says one one seven fiftieth shutter speed and reduce the gain settings. I'm not sure I have that level of granular control over the ubiquity camera. The other thing is, and we will come back again to Cookie Monster, but the other thing is in terms of ubiquity and providing a license plate recognition camera, you, you kind of just want to have the option there, which is like optimized camera for license plate recognition. I should feed that back to them, actually. That would be useful. Kim says, of course, have I been pwned a high level, making the world better? Well, that, that is the goal. Um, and it's it's really nice to sort of have that understanding and recognition. And just by coincidence, I, I was speaking to other law enforcement agencies that are listed here during this period, and it was very clear how, how well aligned these agencies were in the operation as well. So if you're sort of looking at this from the outside, as I was for, for a long time there, you know, all of these organisations, there is a huge amount of communication, um, and, and particularly amongst groups like Five Eyes. So us Aussies, the, you know, the NCA in the UK and the FBI in Canada and, and NZs in there somewhere as well. But there's a huge amount of information sharing. Uh, and these are very, very well-coordinated operations. We've seen in the press that there have apparently been 119 arrests from uh, from Operation Cookie Monster, which is amazing. 119 people. Now, 119, this is obviously not just administrators. You know, that's going to be a small handful of people. This is people that are selling identities, buying identities. You would think now, if you're operating in this space, you would have to be shitting yourself, surely, because this has just come off the back of the takedown of Breach Forum, where... Uh, was it Connor Fitzpatrick? Young guy, so was a young guy. <laughs> young guy in New York has been picked up for that. And of course, that was taken down by a coalition of law enforcement agencies. That super that, that was the replacement for Breach Forum last year, also taken down. We saw uh, must have only been one or two weeks ago about the NCA literally setting up and running a DDoS for hire service and waiting until people came. I don't know if they put their credit card in or they bitcoined it or collected enough personal identifiable data to shut that down and go knock on doors. Now, I'll give you a, a, a slightly more, well, I was going to say a slightly more positive bent on this, but I think taking down criminal markets trading and identity data is a very positive thing, but perhaps a more proactive thing. These agencies, and, and this is one of the reasons I've been speaking to, to some of them over the last few weeks, they're also trying to do work to particularly find vulnerable and impressionable people who may go down this path 
and take them down the other path. I started thinking about this after the, uh, well, I've been thinking about it a lot over the years anyway, but particularly after the uh, bridge forum takedown the other day. You know, Connor Fitzpatrick, uh, Pom Pom Purian, looks like he was 21 years old uh, based on his email address. His email address was, uh, had 2002 in it. Makes you feel old, doesn't it? <laughs> it's 21 years old and he was born after the millennium. 21 years old. Now, that's, that's young. And very often we see many of these people are teenagers, very often children. And even if they're young adults, at some point, probably around that sort of 14, 15, 16-year age, the same age as my son Ari is approaching now, they made choices that took them down a path. And very often those choices begin with very little things. It might be game cheats. It might be booting friends off online games. These things seem minor and they seem like they're probably victimless, but they are computer crimes. And they lead these kids down the beginning of the path, which should they continue along it far enough, leads to knocks on doors, arrests, and so on and so forth. Actually, knocks on doors is an interesting one. Reading some of the material here and also reading through some of the way, uh, particularly the NCA in the UK, I think has been exceptionally good at programs around things like cyber pathways. Knocks on doors is one of the things they do. And it, it, is, it is literally that. It's, it's not knock on the door and lead you out in handcuffs. It's knock on the door and sit down and have a cup of tea and a chat. Because imagine if, if it's a 15-year-old kid. Now, they're almost certainly smarter than their parents when it comes to the cyber things. Parents got no idea. Kids probably don't realise that what they're doing is not only illegal now, but is leading them in a direction where they could end up in jail. And very often agents do sit down and have a chat. And go, look, yeah, you need to understand that what you're doing is illegal. You need to stop it. And it could end up very, very, very badly. There's uh, this video from Operation Cookie Monster of uh, NCA agents in the UK uh, knocking on someone's door and then walking out with a guy in handcuffs. You know, and that, I, I would imagine that it was a very conscious decision to share that information publicly or to share that video publicly because we need people to see that. Because when you look at something like what Genesis Market was, it looks so easy just to go to this website, buy this data, get into someone's account, but yeah. Here we are, here we are. So that's something I'm beginning to be a little bit passionate about. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the weeks and months to come. Now, what else is here in the comments? Uh, Neil, did you cover the New South Wales customer data leak? So I'm aware of it. I am running out of energy. Wrong word. I'm running out of bandwidth to stay on top of everything. Did you see the Tasmanian government one? I only knew about the Tasmanian one because a journalist called me yesterday and said, hey, can you do an interview on, I think it was ABC Tasmania Radio or something, about the Tasmanian government data breach? I was like, yeah, sure. What was that? <laughs> Google. Oh, yeah, all right. Business as usual then. Uh, so, yeah, this is the one that services New South Wales. Um, yeah, yeah. And as Neil said, uh, vehicle registration data, children's names exposed. Um, yep, I'm aware of it. I think I shared a link about that. I think, but honestly, at the moment, it's like every day there are multiple incidents and, and a lot of them in Australia. I do feel like we're, we're punching above our weight in Australia with data breaches lately. Uh, 
Brandon says 2000 true, try 2004, and let me know how old you feel now. Well, you know, the funny thing is I, I honestly never feel old, um, maybe because I have all of my health and fitness and everything else, but I almost feel like I look at it and go, holy shit, like that seemed like just yesterday, you know? I remember where I was for the millennium, and I was an adult. So, uh, no, I don't actually feel old. Thanks for <laughs> asking it that way, though. Stephen, have you heard about the executables that are disguised as PDF files using the right-to-left character and then cloning the user's browser sessions? This is how Linus Tech Tips were attacked. Okay, that's interesting. So it's, you know, without knowing the detail there, the, the whole idea of cloning browser sessions is, is effectively what we used to call session hijacking, where we would have cookies that might not be flagged as HTTP only. Maybe they weren't sent to our secure transport layer. Maybe they were logged somewhere. Uh, there's a lot of Elmar logs still out there with cookies in them. And this was the way we used to do it, which is why we got things like fingerprinting so that cookies and so on alone weren't enough. You had to have other attributes of a browser combined together to keep the authenticated state. Um, but, you know, this is, it's fascinating, isn't it? That Genesis is, it's like we came up with a good model, Right. We had cookies to persist state, and then we protected them with transport layer security, and we marked them HTTP only, and people still found ways. So we added 2FA, and we added fingerprinting, and then Genesis Market came along. And our answer to that is we've taken them down. <laughs> right? so, but there will be a replacement. I've already seen replacements for Breach Forum. I don't know if they'll become the canonical replacement like Breach Forum did for Raid Forum. Um, Incidentally, note that I never talked about any of them whilst they're up and live. So I'm very cautious not to sort of promote these things. But I think talking about them after they're dead is safe. Uh, and these other ones, these other ones might be ones that we talk about in the same way very soon. But again, if you were running one of those services now, seeing everything that we've seen, let's say over the last 12 months with coordinated law enforcement takedowns, law enforcement agents in a lot of these platforms, or in the NCA's case with that stressor service actually running it, uh, you should be very, very worried. On that light note, I can hear my uh, my epoxy guy working hard downstairs, so I'm going to go see what that clear coat is looking like. I'll have some nice photos of that later on as well. And uh, end of my day tomorrow, I will be able to actually have a nice photo of a very nice car, finally in there with that beautiful yellow and then uh, black-grey epoxied floor contrast yeah i hope you all have an awesome easter it is obviously the easter long weekend so go and enjoy yourselves uh, and i'll catch you next week from new zealand